0: People often ask me and other entrepreneurs, what is the number one quality that you need to be a successful business owner? And a lot of times I think they're looking for answers like big vision or a high risk tolerance or no fear of failure or a brash personality. And while those might be characteristically true of some successful entrepreneurs, I think deep down inside, if you look at what leads to success on all scales, there are actually three very simple but very profound qualities that I think every entrepreneur needs to have. And I'd like to break them down for you today. Welcome to episode 61 of The Graham Cochran Show, where I'm here to help you build your online business, help you work less, and help you live and give more to the things and people you care about. I'm your host, Graham Cochran. Honored to spend some time with you today. Hope you're staying healthy and safe today. Uh, Before we jump into the content, it's going to be good Uh, I I really am excited about sharing this with you because I think this will be helpful for you. And I'm curious to know at the end of the episode where you land on these three qualities. I'll have a question for you there as well. I want to point you to uh, my 30-day online income jumpstart guide. If you need to ramp up your business quickly or start an online business quickly, it is literally a guide to go from zero audience on the internet to making your first few dollars, maybe a few hundred dollars, maybe more, in the next 30 days, it is a step by step checklist, walks you down what to do week one, week two, week three, week four. No questions asked, no guessing. I just handhold you through the first four weeks to launch your online business. It's absolutely free. Just go to grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart. I'll link to it below if you're watching on YouTube. And I wanted to share a story with you. Uh, one of my students, Josh, downloaded this guide in the midst of COVID, sent me this email. Graham, Uh, I just want you to know I have a service-based business that was shut down by COVID-19, as was a lot of people. I've been following you for a while, downloaded your 30-day online income jumpstart guide. I literally did everything that was in there, just as you said. Don't don't you love people that actually take your advice? I had no following at all. I used my personal Facebook page to do Facebook live streams. Yesterday, I closed the door on my group coaching signups and I made a little under $500. Not only that, but because of what people have seen me do on Facebook Live, I have actually been been hired multiple times over the month for small projects. These leads all came directly from those live streams. I would say my total, if I include everything made off your 30-day guide, would be about $800. $800 that I wouldn't have without your guidance. So thank you so much. Now I know, and this is my favorite part almost. Now I know that this is all possible. Okay. I freaking love this email. One, because he took my advice. And as someone who gives advice for a living, it feels good just selfishly to have someone actually do what you say, take your advice. Two, this guy took free information that I'm giving you for free right now at grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart and turned it into $800. Where else can you do that, right? I love that. He didn't have to buy a course. He didn't have to pay for anything, although he said he did join my course, Automatic Income Academy, which is awesome. But he made 800 bucks off of this free guide. What are you waiting for? But secondly, what I love is his last line. Now I know this is all possible from a service-based business to an online business. He's made money and he's now, and that's all it takes, right? Is that moment of, oh my gosh, this actually works. Oh my goodness, I can actually do this, right? That's a difference. To know that someone else is doing it is one thing. To understand the business model is a second thing. To do it yourself and make some money, in his case $800, is a different thing because it translates from, oh, it's possible for others to it's possible for me, which is a huge thing that I'm big on, right? I want you to try what I'm saying because I know it's going to work because I'm living proof of it. But B, because once you get a taste, once you make your first 500, $800,000 online, you realize, oh my gosh, anything's possible. And then you're off to the races. So kudos to you, Josh. Thanks for the email uh, and If you want to be as awesome as Josh, if you lost a service-based business, if you lost a job or you're furloughed and you just need to make some money online or you've been kicking around the idea of starting an online business for a while but you haven't done it, now is your time. Just go to grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart and get your free guide. What are you waiting for? All right, let's jump into the content today. Uh, I wanted to do this episode because I never thought that I was the prototypical entrepreneur. And I never wanted to start a business and I didn't think I had what it took. And I know that because I started a freelance service-based business out of college because I hated putting on a shirt and tie and sitting in a cubicle after so, so my rock star dreams were dashed. I didn't get to become a rock star like I really tried to. And it's not even a joke. Like I literally tried to become a rock star. And when that wasn't looking super promising, had to get a real job because I was engaged to be married and if you want to get married, you kind of need to have a job. So I got a job, but I hated it. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to go freelance. I'm going to work for myself. And I did. Um, but it was scary. I remember booking clients and having some deposits down for some gigs and having a little bit of money in the bank. And then uh, having a person cancel on me saying, hey, I'm not going to be able to do, I know we said we're going to make a record. We're going to do this project together in May, let's say. I'm going to have to pull out for other reasons and we'll have to do it another time. And I remember thinking, "Oh, dude, but that that was gonna pay my rent for May. That was gonna pay for my groceries for May. Like, I I need you are my May, bro. Like, you are. I need you for May. Like, don't leave me, no." And that's when I realized, "Oh my gosh, this whole business thing is so scary because it's unpredictable and I don't have control." Whereas when I had a paycheck, it was it was guaranteed. It was steady. Um, so maybe you can identify. I, I was. Mm, I lasted about six months, and then I had to go back and get a job and then just stick to freelancing on the side when I didn't have the pressure of it needing to make any money. So if my May project got canceled, no big deal. That was all extra money anyway. So that was my only taste for a while of being an entrepreneur. And I was like, yep, too scared. Yep, I'm not risk-averse enough to be an entrepreneur. Because that's, that's the picture I had in my mind of what a great entrepreneur was was the Steve Jobs or the Bill Gates or the Elon Musks or the, uh, you know, Phil and the Blake, Jeff Bezos. Like the guy, like Jeff Bezos had a great job on Wall Street, six-figure salary, left it to go across the country to Seattle to start an online bookstore in the 90s. People laughed at him. People thought he was crazy. Why are you getting up a good job, bro, to start a... Nobody buys books on the internet. They just go to Barnes & Noble. They just go to Books A Million. They just go to Borders Bookstore. No. Look who's laughing now! Jeff Ball, Jeff Bezos is laughing now. That guy, freaking richest man on the planet, taking over the world. So um, I was like, I'm not those guys. I don't have the guts to do something that risky. I don't even, and I wouldn't do something risky because I don't even have a big vision like they have. And I'm not a, a big personality. Like I, I I'm not gonna raise a bunch of venture capital because I have this great vision and I need your money and I believe in it. We're going to go to war for it and it's going to be big and I'm going to sell it for $100 million or a billion dollars. That's not me. So I thought that I wasn't a prototypical entrepreneur. Can you relate? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah. A lot of us have found ourselves becoming business owners, becoming entrepreneurs, but never feeling like we were the entrepreneur type. And, and so that's a, first of all, that's a misnomer. There's 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 employees and then there's Founders and entrepreneurs that are a certain type. There's a middle ground of people like us who have found a way to make a living on the internet. We are by definition entrepreneurs and business owners, owners, but we don't fit that prototypical personality. So what I thought, when I get asked this question a lot, there's a bunch of qualities that are important. I think the three most important I want to share today, um, and I think the number three is the most important. We'll get to that third. So let's start with these qualities, okay? Only preface I'll make, only preface I'll make is two of these, well, all three of these may not come naturally for you. And that's okay. Because I think that all three can actually be something you grow and improve upon, especially number three, which is the most important. So don't, Don't tune out if you're not one of these, but I'd love for you to hear all three that I think make the most impactful entrepreneur. And then I'll have a question for you at the end. Number one, optimism. Optimism. I think one of the most important qualities a business owner, an entrepreneur can have if he or she wants to be successful is optimism. And in three areas, okay? I think you need to be optimistic about the future inherently entrepreneurs make the world a better place. They go out and they say, huh, how can I solve this problem better? How can I serve these people better? Is there a better product we can bring to market that does this? I mean, that's how things improve. That's how we got the iPhone. That's how we got broadband internet. That's how we got, you know, um, I don't know, Instagram instead of MySpace. You know, like people, real? do you even know what MySpace is? Probably not. People look at the landscape and say, what could be better about our world? That's how we got electricity. That's how we got the radio. That's how we got the TV. That's how we got movies. That's how we got cars, (laughs) you know? Entrepreneurs are optimistic about the future, and you and I need to be optimistic about the future. We need to be optimistic about the economy. A, A successful entrepreneur can't look at the economy and say, oh, gosh, it's really bad right now. It's really bad every eight to nine years. It's called a recession. It happens every eight eight to nine years, and some of them are really worse than others. Unfortunately, we've been living through two pretty bad ones. In 2008, 2009, the Great Recession, the worst recession we'd had, I think, since the Great Depression. And now, with COVID, record unemployment, near-record unemployment, but certainly, I think the highest unemployment in the U.S., since the Great Depression. So we're living through two pretty bad ones. But you know what? We've gone through a lot of bad stuff as a country, as a world. World War I, World War II, Vietnam, the Cold War, 9-11. Like so many things have caused the economy to collapse. And an entrepreneur who is successful is optimistic about the future. It will get better. And Entrepreneurs who are successful are optimistic about their personal future as a business. We will grow. This company will grow. We will be able to improve and do better and serve more people in the future. That's one reason why I invest in the stock market. Because when people are like, oh, the stock market's unpredictable. Not really. You look over the last 150 years, it's very predictable. It's growing at about 10% a year. What I'm investing in isn't some random ebb and flow stock market. I'm investing in other entrepreneurs, and I believe they are optimistic, and they have plans for the future, and they are going to try to grow, and the ones that don't, they fall off the indices. That's why I invest in index funds, so that I'm just investing in the companies that are doing well and will continue to do well long term. So I'm banking on other optimistic entrepreneurs when I invest in the stock market. Optimism. So optimism about the future, optimism about your product or service, but let's talk about products. That's what we sell, right? You have to be so passionate about what you sell. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard to sell it. The beautiful thing is I think you and I get that because the type of business we're in is generally information product business, knowledge commerce, e-learning. We're selling ourselves. We are selling our knowledge. We are selling what we're passionate about. So this should be a no-brainer, but sometimes... You might find yourself in a situation where you have a successful business and brand, but you don't even believe in what you're selling anymore. Maybe you did at one point. Maybe you don't anymore. You know what? You got to be optimistic about what you sell. It comes through in your marketing. It comes through in your content. If you believe in content marketing, it comes through in everything. Optimism about your products. And then if you have a team, if you have employees, if you have contractors, you got to be optimistic about your team, about what they are doing and optimistic around them and in front of them. Optimism is contagious, right? It wears off on people. It's fun to be around. Would you rather be around someone who is always negative, always cynical, always glass half empty, a Debbie Downer, right? Or would you rather be around someone who is always positive, has a great outlook, is hopeful, is just in generally optimistic about where things are going? Those people are more attractive. Those people are more fun to be around. Those are the people you'd rather be stuck in an elevator with, stuck at dinner with, stuck at a party with, right? Stuck in a car with. Optimism is palpable and powerful. So if you have a team you certainly want to be optimistic about and around your team. It wears off on them. It helps them really buy into the mission. This is something my wife does really well. She has a team of about four or five ladies uh, that work for her, and um, they're amazing. Super talented, super quality individuals in general. But Shay has gotten really good at casting vision and casting optimism about what they are doing as a company who they are serving how are they are disrupting the marketplace and serving their customers well and becoming a better product than the competition and so her team catches on to that optimism and then they reflect that optimism and it's just this beautiful thing where they're doing great work with excitement because it started with Shay's optimism about what they're selling who they're selling it to and ultimately what the the mission and vision is behind the company so optimism is so important if you have a team gotta be optimistic. And it's hard when things are tough. That's one of the hard things about being a CEO or a leader or a business owner is, there's no one paying you a salary, there's no one bailing you out, it's kinda on you. So when things get hard, like they've been hard this year for a lot of businesses, it's really hard to have optimism sometimes, but optimism will get you through. So that's quality number one. Quality number two is creativity. Creativity, if you're not an artist, if you're not a musician, If you're not a poet, don't tune out. Creativity is a very broad, very broad term. So here's how I view, creativity is so important. If you wanna be a successful entrepreneur, you have to be creative. And in three ways, one, you gotta have creativity to spot problems that you can solve as a business or to spot market gaps or inefficiencies, right? The best products, the best brands, I think, have been born out of some creative thinking and creative vision, looking around the marketplace and saying, huh, could we do that better? There's got to be a better way to do that. Well, I can't believe they are the leaders in the marketplace. That product is so boring. Or it's missing a huge, there's a huge gap there of people that it's not serving, or it's not serving them well in that area. Creativity is needed to spot where the need is, to spot where you can add value. So, for example, this does not have to be earth-shattering. Again, don't think like Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, these people. When I started the recording revolution, I was just trying to ultimately, originally, get discovered online, use content as advertising, as lead generation to fund my freelance business. What ended up happening was people found my content on YouTube, on my blog, and they're like, oh my gosh, this guy explains things crystal clear finally for once. And he, he gets me, I want more content. And I realized, wow, there's this demand for content. How can I monetize this? I don't know how to do this, but that was the story that ended up leading to that business and now this business model, and now I teach you how to do business, and it's just been a fun journey for the last almost 11 years. Very quickly, I realized, because I looked around, I was like, well, there's already people on YouTube in magazines, on online courses, even over a decade ago who were doing this, who were teaching this material. And they have a lot of the market share and they have a well-known brand. So I feel like it's covered. But the more I looked, the more I started to spot with just, just the littlest bit of creativity, man, most of this content is super didactic, meaning like it's super, you know, thorough it's it's actual hard teaching which is great it's not fluff but it's kind of boring and it's heavily technical and that doesn't make sense because the the people that need this information generally aren't technical they're musicians who are generally right-brained creative folk generally speaking not everybody so wouldn't it make sense to teach this technical art of music recording and producing to non-technical people through the lens of creativity and music and just down-to-earth explanations from one musician to another, wouldn't that resonate better with people than these college professors that are making courses on music creation that sound like college professors are teaching music creation? Turns out, yes. 100% yes. The, one of the biggest reasons why my brand blew up is not because I'm the best audio engineer, not because I have the most knowledge, not because I have the biggest credits. None of these things are true about me but I was able to spot through a little bit of creativity that there was a gap in the way this information was being taught. So I just teach the same information, but in a more user-friendly way to the target audience. That's not that creative, but just just a little bit goes a long way. So you need to be creative and have creativity to spot problems that you could solve for people. When I say problems, I mean like new problems and challenges you could solve for people, or to spot market gaps. Um, You have to have creativity to solve new problems in unique ways, right? So there's going to be new problems that come out of this economic climate we're in. There's going to be new problems that come out of industries being shaken up. Maybe your target market had a set of problems a year ago, but now they have different problems. Um, For example, if you were a fitness instructor A year ago, you could, the context of what you're sharing would be, hey, when you go to the gym, right, do this in the gym, use this machine, use this. Well, no one's really going to the gym right now. I mean, some people have gone back to the gyms in certain states where they're open, right? They're open here in Florida, but not everyone feels comfortable going back to a gym right now for obvious reasons, right? So your target market still wants to learn how to get in shape But that's not a context that makes as much sense anymore. And maybe there is a bigger emphasis on at-home workouts that always was there, but now it's bigger. And maybe there's a bigger demand, you know? Maybe you have a bigger demand for people for at-home workouts who used to work in an office where there was a gym or they uh, could swing by a gym on their way home from work, but now they're working from home and so they've never ever wanted to work from home, maybe they need to be served with a new type of at-home workout that appeals to people that hate working out at home. Like my wife hates working out at home. Hates it. She doesn't like to sweat in her own living room. She just doesn't have the discipline to do it. So maybe someone like her, who's generally physically fit and active in a gym setting, maybe you could solve her new problems in a new way by addressing the context that she's in. So creativity, just a little bit of ounce of creativity to solve new problems in unique ways. And then for you as a business owner, you need creativity to try different strategies and try different tactics, ultimately to grow, evolve, or pivot in your business. And that's never been more apparent than right now. It was the same in 2008 and 2009. A lot of businesses needed to have a little bit of creativity to grow and pivot. So I have a friend, I'm in a group with of entrepreneurs who his business um, provided Pre-COVID, provided photo booth um, experiences at conferences, events, workplace events, parties, things like that. Coachella, you know, Amazon's parties, Facebook, Instagram's Christmas party, or Pinterest Christmas party. Like he was doing big business for big corporate events, conferences, CES, right, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Like they would create, like when you're at the event something that would draw attention and people over to your booth, which would be these amazing photo booth environments, right? Fun activities. Multi-million dollar a year business, growing, I think 18, 20 person team, really impressive business. And then all of a sudden COVID happens. No one's doing live events. His business, it's like almost like the faucet got completely shut off, completely out of his control. He has spent the last three months using every ounce of creativity he can to pivot. He's pivoted in two different ways by adding two different products to market. One is um, a virtual photo booth, which is interesting. It's a piece of software that they've developed that allows you to do virtual, it sounds silly, but it's actually very practical, virtual selfies online um, for events. So like People are doing online events and they're taking virtual selfies to a virtual photo booth, which is a piece of software, and also using the software to do virtual headshots for companies where you can't come in and have a consistent photographer getting consistent looking headshots. The software can take a virtual headshot on their laptop at home and create consistency and doctor up the photo in such a way that all your employees' headshots, if they're having to work remote, hire remote, All that kind of stuff can have consistency. It's a brilliant idea. So the virtual photo booth business is doing really well. And then he started another business with a delivery box service um, to help, what he would do is take products from local businesses that you could buy a box from your business or from your city, I'm sorry, And so they would curate local boutiques who are hurting through COVID, buy products from them, from your city, package them in a box, and you could then use that and deliver that as a gift package to your employees, to friends, whatever, and you'd be both supporting your city and local businesses and doing something nice. And these are two semi-random things for him, but they created these these businesses and they're generating a lot of revenue and keeping them afloat right now while their main source of revenue was completely cut off and is going to be cut off for some time now. That takes creativity. I mean, that's an extreme example and that's really hard, but creativity is so important. You can't, like, everything is always changing. Business is always changing. The market's always changing. Demand is always changing. Things are evolving. You can't just stay the same. And you can't just say, hey, I learned how to do this and I'm just gonna always do this and it's always gonna be the same. Some things will stay the same. Certain models of business, certain principles of business will stay the same. But you have to always have a little bit of creativity to pivot, adjust, evolve, and grow. What strategy worked for you for the first five years may not work for you for the next five years. The way I'm running the recording revolution now as a seven-figure business is a little different than what I was doing when it was a zero business or even a six-figure business, right? Some things have to evolve and you have to have a little bit of creativity always. You don't have to be a super creative person, so don't hear me out that you have to be some artsy-fartsy creative. That's not what I'm talking about. But you have to be able to think outside the box a little bit or be willing to spot the gold that's hidden there, right? Got it, so optimism, creativity. And the third and final quality, and I think this is the most important, I want to park here for a moment, is discipline. Discipline, okay? It's the D word. I don't think people like to talk about discipline, especially entrepreneurs who, generally speaking, don't want to be boxed in, don't want to have to do the same thing over and over again, want to be able to be free to do whatever they want to do. That's why a lot of creatives are drawn to the entrepreneur space. Generally, because our personalities lack discipline, we like variety, we like freedom, and we think that those things are you know polar opposites or juxtaposed to each other, but they're not. So let me get specific about what I mean. To be successful, like there's there's so much you can't control in your business. Let me just say it this way. There's so much you and I can't control. So I, I, a long time ago, just gave up trying to control things I can't control. And instead, I decided to control the things I could control. And a lot of this started early on for me because when I started my business, it was because I had to start a business. I lost a job during the recession. I was on food stamps for 18 months. I had a mortgage and a new baby and no income and a new city and a new state, and I was scared. And I was just trying to figure things out. Everything in my life felt like out of control, except for my family situation. My wife was amazing, health was intact, extended family was supportive, my church community was supportive. Short of that, I felt like my life was out of control. Like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? Um, that was a scary place to be. So what I found myself doing was controlling the things I could control because it made me feel a little bit better. Much like there was a lot of panic buying and panic shopping at the beginning of coronavirus in the United States. People were buying all this meat. They were buying toilet paper and masks. Like buying stuff, that it, buying baby wipes even though they didn't have a baby. You know what I'm saying? Like fear. It's like the, everything is out of control. So let me control what I can control, which is buying all the stuff I could possibly think of. So at least have that control aspect. That's what I ended up doing. But what's interesting is I found that that led to discipline in three areas of my business that have been phenomenally successful for me and helped for me. And I apply that to this business as well, which has been phenomenally successful in growing this business. Okay, discipline with your time. And what I mean by that is twofold. One, what you do with your time when you're at work, but then bigger than that, discipline with your time between work and home. There is a popular ethic in entrepreneurship that you just grind. You grind it out. There's the phrase rise and grind. There's grind or die, hashtag hustle. All of that crap needs to go. That's a bunch of garbage. It's just an awful way to live. But it is per- it's, it's perpetuated by very smart, very generally successful ambitious, hotshot entrepreneurs. And there's a few poster childs of that. Um, And we we elevate that as a society, Success Magazine, Forbes Magazine. The stories you hear over and over again are, I just worked my butt off. You know, and I, I talked about Bill Gates and Elon Musk a few months ago. Those guys, their mantra was at least, work every waking hour. Bill Gates famously didn't take a day off in his 20s. That is a recipe for failure, in my opinion. Maybe a recipe to become a billionaire, but at what cost? You need to decide, because that's the extreme. Here's what really happens in real life, okay? You work on the weekends sometimes, maybe all the time, maybe just a few hours here and there. You work during the day, somewhat normal hours, come home, Maybe you have a family, maybe you're married, maybe not. Either way, there's a break in the evening at some point where you maybe watch some TV or have dinner, spend time with your family. But then kids go to bed and you get back on your laptop. This is especially true with online business owners when they can keep working easily from home because that's where they do work. And it's almost considered okay to like, work in the day, see your spouse or kids for dinner, if, if you're disciplined about that, which a lot of people aren't, but let's just give you the benefit of the doubt that you are. And then as soon as everyone goes to bed, your kids go to bed, or you're done having dinner with your spouse, your spouse watches TV, you have your laptop, and you're working for another couple hours in the evening. That's not okay. That's not no, That shouldn't be normal. And I, I don't know where you're at with that. If, if that's you, that might be really offensive to you, but i because I'm for you, I got to call that out. That's a, that's a recipe for failure. That's a lack of discipline. If you're working every evening and you're working on the weekends, you functionally are working around the clock, which might be working for you right now. But newsflash, that will not lead to a fulfilling, healthy life. It will not lead to fulfilling healthy relationships. You are setting yourself up for failure with your marriage, if you're married, with your kids, if you have kids. And if you don't have either, I hear this excuse, well, I'm single. I don't have a spouse. I don't have kids. So I'll just keep working all the time. You're basically saying you're not worth it. You're basically saying it's only worth it for you to to have discipline with your work and home life if there's other people that you want to love well that you don't deserve it yourself. Just you and you are not enough. That's 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 a bad excuse. That's just not good enough. I'm sorry. That is a lack of discipline, and that's not going to lead you where you want it to lead you. You might grow a business, but you might also destroy your life in the process. What good is that? We got into the business because we want to have more life. What happens is we start to love our businesses. It becomes our identity. Oh, we can't turn it off. Or, and or we have fear that if we stop. In the evenings or on the weekends, it's like we're taking our foot off the gas pedal. We're going to lose momentum. Someone else will catch up. Business falls apart. Neither of those are true. Your work is not your identity. It doesn't have to be, should never be, even though work is a a wonderful, good thing. And taking breaks does not mean momentum drops. Again, I've been preaching this since day one, but the less and less I work every year, the more and more my business grows. And there's reasons for that. And I try to teach you that here all the time on the channel. So you need discipline with your time. You need to be very clear about when you're working, when you're not working. You need to have work hours and non-work hours. You need to have work days and non-work days. You need to decide if you're taking off for bank holidays or not taking off for bank holidays. you see what I'm saying? You need to make these decisions. And then you have to have, have, to have discipline when you're at work to, to do the work that actually moves the needle. 80-20 rule. Right? You need to know the 20% of your activities that general, generate 80% of your revenue, 80% of your growth, 80% of your success. If you don't know what those are, you're, you're, you're doing busy work. You need to stop, figure out that 20%, and then only do that 20%. You got to be very disciplined with your time, okay? We can talk about that all day long, but that is so important. Those who are disciplined with their time win. And you see this, right? With the, those super successful people, there's a great book uh, by Cal Newport, Called deep work, and right, and you see him talk about and talk to people—not just business owners, but people, thought leaders, professors, scientists, anybody who's doing really, really good work. They are—they have moments of deep, intense, focused work. When they're working, their email's not open, their phone's not on, they're not taking meetings, they're not watching—they don't have TV in the background. They're doing deep, focused work during that time, so that they can get to a higher level of output a deeper level of level of connection and then they know when to shut it off so it's like on off don't be on all the time because then you're not ever truly ever on and you're not ever truly ever off does that make sense so discipline with your time discipline with your content i talked about content last week i'm talking about content all the time the way content marketing works is if you are disciplined and consistent you can't make a month. You can't make a video every day for 30 days, crush the content game, and then disappear for a month. It just doesn't work the same way. Content on podcast platforms, YouTube, even blogs, really work well when you have committed to consistency. The consistency of your content is almost more important than the quality of your content. You need to have quality content, but quality content without consistency does nothing for you. So it's very important that you figure out how much time you can devote to your content game More content isn't always better, but consistently good content is really, really important. People need to learn to be able to depend on your content. Are you always dropping a video every week? Does your podcast always have an episode every week or every other day or every day, or does it come and then does it go? If they can't depend on you showing up, they're going to go somewhere else. Consistency, and that takes discipline. You can't just be excited and motivated about content for a week or two or three because Graham was talking about it or someone else is talking about it or you finally had time and then get caught up in the rest of your business. Content is your business. You have to make it part of your weekly, daily, monthly rhythm, whatever works for you and consistently output. Make sense? So discipline with your time, discipline with your content, And finally, this is really important. I want to make sure you get this because a lot of you are newer. A lot of you are excited about online business or maybe you're not new and you're like the person that crushes all the resources in online business so you know all the things and I'm just one of the many people you're listening to, which is great by the way, but you just love consuming information. This will be a word for you, right? You need discipline with your marketing. Discipline with your marketing. Some of you, we will learn about a tactic, you will implement that tactic, and then a week later, you will try a new marketing tactic that you read about or saw about in a video or listened to somebody's new podcast episode about it. And you'll try that next week. And then maybe a month later, you'll try another tactic. You will never know which tactic is working if you're constantly changing up your tactics or trying a bunch of new tactics at the same freaking time and not having the discipline to give your marketing tactic or strategy time to work. Some of my students have come to me and said, Graham, I'm thinking about changing my lead magnet. What do you think about this new lead magnet idea? And I'll ask, yeah, no problem, why are you changing your lead magnet. What's wrong with your other one? Well, it's not converting very well. Okay. What, like, what do you mean? Give me some numbers. Like, what do you normally get? What should you be getting? What's your audience size? Well, I'm only converting about one new subscriber a month, meaning I'm getting one new person on my email list a month. And that's pretty low. I'm, yeah, that is pretty low. Okay. Wow. So how many people are hitting your website a month or watching your YouTube videos a month or listening to your podcast a month? Well, about 20. Oh, interesting. Okay. 20 people hitting your website a month, one person joining your email list a month, that's a 5% conversion rate from general visitor to email list. That is actually statistically very good. So that person has no discipline to grow their audience because that's really the problem. It's not a lead magnet problem. It is an audience size problem. Only 20 people sitting seeing your website a month or only 20 people seeing your videos a month is just really small. You need more eyeballs before you can ever determine if your lead magnet is converting or not. I would say it is converting well, but really one person converting doesn't even tell us that consistently you're getting 5% conversion rate. We don't even know that just happened that one month. It takes time, especially if you're newer, especially if the numbers are low to be able to spot trends. A lot of you, We'll look at one month's worth of data, two months' worth of data on a very small population size and make a determination of a trend that's not really a trend, just, just the way it happened for a month or two. It takes more time, more, uh, more data to really determine trends, and that takes discipline to give your marketing strategy time. I know you want things to pop right now. I, I, I wish I could tell you do this and it'll pop right now. I can tell you what will work, what will work long term, and some of it might pop now. Some of it is out of your control. Sometimes you'll have a video just blow up. Just thank the, the fake algorithm gods, right? Just look up to the algorithm heavens and say thank you for showering your favor on my video. But you can't control that. But you can control consistent good content and then giving things time to be able to get some analytics that are actually helpful. That takes discipline. So many of you are just too quick to change tactic because you read a cool article, saw something at a virtual summit, listened to a great podcast by someone really smart and successful, and they're like, oh, well, they're doing that. I'm gonna do that. Well, he said he uses webinars. I'm gonna use webinars. She's using a Facebook funnel hack. I'm gonna use a Facebook funnel hack. Wh- whatever it is, and that's totally fine, to learn new things and implement them. Heck, that's what you should be doing with my content. I'm trying to teach you what works. But the problem is when you change it too much and too often, I don't want you to keep changing things. Make sense? It takes discipline to give things time, stick with your marketing till you can really learn what's a trend and what's not a trend because not everything is a trend. I think if you have these three qualities, optimism, creativity, and discipline, you'll crush. You'll crush. Because those those qualities will, will serve you well in good economic times, bad economic times, small business, big business, this business, a future business. Those qualities will serve you well if you work for someone else's company for a while. Right? Who wouldn't want to hire someone who's optimistic, creative, and disciplined. Those qualities breed success, no matter what your personality is. You and I are gonna have very different personalities, let's say, right? There's no one entrepreneur type personality. Now I know a lot of entrepreneurs and they almost kind of feel like there is one personality and I'm not it, I get it. But hey, I've built two very successful companies and you, and I, when I look back at what has led to success, those three qualities have served me the greatest on both businesses. And they've served my wife the greatest. She is both optimistic, creative, and disciplined in her business. She only does what she's supposed to do. She doesn't get, she doesn't try all the things. She has the discipline. That's what makes a good CEO. The discipline to say, good idea, but not right now. Mm, Good idea, but I need to research it some more. Good idea, but we're working on this for the moment. Give me six more months, and then I'll take a look. She's optimistic about what they roll out. She's passionate about everything they're going to roll out. She has pivoted more than anyone I know. Her business model has pivoted so much since 2013, and it has only served her well. She spots trends, takes chances when she sees a creative opportunity, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but she's willing enough to be nimble and creative, and it has led to go from a small freelance business you know, 15, 10 years ago to one style of business with one-off sales to this super-growing subscription-based model, amazing membership site that's doing multiple six figures and growing It's insane. She embodies all three of these characteristics. We have different personalities, though. This is not a personality thing. This is a quality or a characteristic or a character trait that you can develop. You can become more optimistic. You can become more creative, and you can certainly become more disciplined. And my friend, I'll just have to say you need to flat out if you want to win. So I have a question for you. Which of these three character traits or qualities are you strongest in? And which of the three are you weakest in? Optimism, creativity, and discipline. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment below. Are you? What are you strongest in? And what are you weakest in? And if you're just listening to the podcast, think about this. Which of these three are you strongest in? And which of these three do you want to visit a little bit more? And could you work on a little bit? I'm all for like rolling with your strengths. I usually don't pick on weaknesses, but I believe in these qualities so much that I'd love to see you dive into which one you think is the weakest as well. And maybe analyze it a bit and think on it a bit. And if you just need to get started, if you just need some clear direction, like this is still like over your head and you're like, I just need to get this business up and running, then I can get optimistic. Let me make some money, Graham. Then I'll be optimistic and disciplined to keep making more money. Then I would love to point you to what my student, Josh, used to create $800 out of thin air with, and that's my 30-day online income jumpstart guide. Go from no audience to making money in 30 days. It's literally a four-week checklist, guys. It's bullet points. It's not a book. It's easy to read. Just follow it. Check it off as you go. It's at grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart. I'll link to it below if you're watching the video. Otherwise, just go to grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart. Download it, read it, and then maybe do what Josh did, implement it. And then when you get start to get some success and make some money, hit me up, let me know your success. Email me, graham at grahamcochran.com. I'd love to hear about your success. That's it for today, my friend. Thanks for spending some time with me. Really, really means a lot. I hope you're staying healthy and safe. I cannot wait to see you on another episode real soon.